millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 15 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss news about UEFA Champions League TV rights in the USA, uh, which soccer leagues are the most accessible to fans, exciting news about women's soccer coverage, and uh, plus big news from Liga MX and much, much more. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. And I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, Kartik, we're going to do something a little bit different for segment one, which is uh, kind of what we've been watching uh, during the past week. I'm going to ask you what was your high point and what was your low point in terms of uh, watching your, uh, your games or, or, or any coverage over this past week. Yeah, so I guess um, the high point of, was either watching uh, the Classico, uh, the Super Classico Chivas America, on a Saturday night on Udivision, that that would that that was an excellent game, fun game, uh, fast paced. Uh, although it was kind of chippy, those games are always chippy. A lot of fouling, a lot of uh, aggressive play. But I, I thought it was an excellent game. That and then uh, the discussion about Mario Balotelli on ESPN FC uh, with Julian, uh, Julian Lorenz and, uh, and and Craig Burley on. Uh, Monday night was also quite interesting as uh, they went through Liga uh, and uh, the, the discussion point ended up being about Balotelli and uh, he's now flaming out at another club and uh, the hope was that this was the right level club for him because there's less pressure there than at uh, Man City or Liverpool or uh, uh, either of the Milan clubs but uh, it's uh, going it's very much running the same course where he had a few spectacular games at the begin at the beginning of the season but now uh, it, it's almost as if uh, when he comes on the pitch and he's not starting regularly for Nice, they're playing with 10 men and they're in the title race, right? They're right behind Monaco and PSG in that league and, and really can't uh, afford Balotelli's antics as they try and chase the title and at, at the very least try and uh, hang on to a Champions League spot. So Mario Balotelli again, I, I you know, I just said we'll, we'll be talking about this guy uh, for the next 10 years. <laughs> Even as he, uh, he probably ends up in China or Major League Soccer, I, I think – his race might be run in top European leagues now uh, with this flame out at Nice. Uh, I don't know who's going to take a chance on him. Maybe some lower level Serie A club will, but uh, it's not looking good for him. That, that, and that's the great thing about ESPN FC and I'd say the locker room too on BN Sports is, is you're going to have a topic that's going to come up that's not Premier League and it's not uh, MLS. You mean Mario Balotelli at Nice um, and his antics there is, is a perfect uh, discussion for that. Um, in terms of ESPN FC, in, in particular, was any uh, which analysts were on that show kind of talking about it? I, I missed it personally, but uh... yeah, yeah, Burley, Burley was on talking about it, and uh, you, you you had Steve, Stevie Nickel talk about it, and you had uh, Shaka Hislop talk about it a little bit. Uh, they were um, 
they, they were also pretty um, uh, adamant that they felt like Monaco was one of the best teams in Europe. Maybe not Hislop as much as uh, as Burley and Nickel. And this was, of course, leading into the Manchester City-Monaco game, where Monaco, for 60 minutes, did look like one of the best teams in Europe. Uh, they're not out of the tie, but pretty shocking capitulation. I know we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, maybe Falcao makes that penalty. It's different. But that ended up becoming an interesting discussion. And it was very interesting specifically because there isn't much talk about Monaco on any program, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, even even on BN, and I don't want to necessarily allege bias, but BN has reasons to promote PSG. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more discussion about PSG and what Emery is getting wrong than what Monaco has been getting right. And I, there were times on the locker room that you'll see a uh, Phil Shane uh, direct discussion towards Monaco, but uh, oftentimes um, it, it's about um, PSG on that channel when they when they discuss Liga. Uh. So it was it was good to have a a five to ten minute discussion about what Monaco's gotten right, which is uh, their ability to recycle possession and create scoring opportunities on the break, which they did in this game against Manchester City. I mean, when Burley pre- predicted that they would win and they would win the tie, uh, he felt fairly easily. It was based on that, and we saw we saw why he was thinking that the next day on Tuesday. And then also a lot of discussion about how well uh, organized and drilled Monaco is at the back. Now, we didn't see that in the Champions League game, so um, that was a little bit of a, a red herring. But that was, a, that, that was another interesting discussion that you don't necessarily get on other shows, and I, and I think that there's been... The, the show has had the reputation of being a, a bit too Premier League-centric. I think they have tried in recent weeks, I would say, more than months, but in recent weeks to talk more about Liga uh, and the Bundesliga than they had previously. Uh, the Spanish coverage is generally the same. They're limited in what they can do with that because they don't get um, the bumper highlights from uh, from, from uh, BN. BN, right? With, and, and, and that's the case with France, too, but they made a conscious effort to talk about it. Now, with uh, the Bundesliga, they can talk about it all the time because Fox makes those uh, highlights available to them. And in fact, it seems like uh, on, on Sunday nights, they spend more time showing all the Bundesliga highlights than they do even with, with Premier League highlights, aware that, uh, you know, in many cases, mm-hmm. people have watched uh, NBC's Premier League coverage and have seen all the highlights because they show you the Saturday mixer and all this stuff on NBC. And then if you haven't missed that, you, you see Match of the Day. So uh, I think they're doing a good job diversifying that show. The show will always have the reputation of being Premier League-centric or Euro-centric for MLS fans. They throw in a lot of MLS segments, and I, I watch MLS, but I have to admit, because of time constraints, oftentimes I fast-forward through those segments. Because it's the MLS segments, unless Taylor Twelman's on, just, there's no cr- criticism involved. There's no critiques involved. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's more, um, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, no, it's not just softball. It's like, here, here we've got some superstar player. We've got uh, uh, Kaka. We've got David Villa. We're going to talk about how great MLS is basically, and, and, and the upcoming season. And there just isn't the level of, of critical analysis and critical lens that they put on other leagues, uh, unless they go back to the studio and Craig Burley's talking about it and he's just saying, hey, you know, this league isn't, isn't uh, what people think it is. But they, I, I think um, a lot of times now they're, they're, they're leaving Burley out of the discussions on MLS for that reason. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was very revealing, though, Kartik, because at halftime on uh, Fox Sports, so FS1 for the Champions League coverage on Tuesday, um, at halftime, Rob Stone and, and the panel were shocked. They were like, we're so surprised that uh, 
Atleti is beating uh, Leverkusen. And we're so surprised that Monaco is leading Man City. Yeah, I, yeah they were, they were, I, I wasn't surprised I, at all. I mean, I, I, mean I, don't, I, I don't know if it was a panel as much as Rob Stone making kind of a, a, a strange comment. Yeah, because as I said, on ESPN FC, they hit all other than Shaka Hislop. And he had just said because City were playing better recently. The rest of them had all thought Monaco was going to win. Burley, who generally is right and whose analysis I agree with 99% of the time, basically thought they would um, mop the floor with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fantastic game to watch as, as a neutral. I mean, I'm sure as a Man City fan, it was probably <laughs> highs and lows in terms of you know, I mean, uh, defensive errors, goalkeeping errors, you mean penalty kick saves, uh, Monaco playing exceedingly well. Uh, m- uh, was it Mbappe looking extraordinarily uh, oh, fast? Fantastic. You know I mean? Yeah, and, and, you, and you wonder... Uh, this was something that Craig Burley brought up on Monday in preview of the game. Maybe Manchester United, they were panicking two years ago. They bought Martial from Monaco. Maybe they, they should have waited. Monaco keeps having this conveyor belt of players coming out yeah. uh, of their system. Now they've got three or four guys under the age of 20 that are really, really good. He being the headliner, he being the, uh, the most prominent one. And I, and I can see Monaco giving City a tough time in the second leg. I mean, City... As we've known from the last couple of years, in terms of in, in Champions League, especially, especially, are very vulnerable to mistakes. You I mean just uh, just uh, kind of whether it's concentration or, or whatever it may be. But I can see Monaco still still in this game. I mean, they got all those away goals, oh, yeah. so it, it's it's definitely not over yet. Oh, and they created. Let's let's keep in mind they scored three goals. They created. If you just because there were so many chances in this game, if you didn't watch the game, you missed. A lot of what happened. They they scored twice in the first half. They really could have scored four or five goals. Mm-hmm. And uh, Caballero had a pretty good game. It's yeah. pretty. It's it's difficult to say that about a guy that that made three saves. I don't know if Claudio Bravo makes those saves. I don't know if he saves the penalty, and I don't know if he makes that save, critical save at the end of the match, uh, on on Falcao's chance. So he um, Falcao's chance for a hat trick. There is um, there's a lot left in the in the tank for Monaco. Now the question is. Does Monaco, uh, does Champions League, disqual- does Champions League elimination potentially help them? Because they're only uh, three points ahead of PSG in the league table. I think, I think I speak for all neutrals in saying, no offense to if there are PSG fans that listen, I don't know that there are. No offense to um, them, but I believe that uh, we all want to see Monaco win that league. Right. If it's not Nice, it's probably not going to be Nice. Yeah, most so there, there's part of me in the back of my mind thinking maybe it's good if Monaco is just out of this round. They can focus on Champions League. Uh, they can focus, excuse me, on the on the domestic league and win that league. Although I should point out to people who follow the Premier League and don't follow other leagues, France has a history and a reputation of rearranging fixtures for teams that go deep in Champions League. They did it for Bordeaux in 2009-10. They did it for. Uh, Leon, I think that same season, they've done it for Leon a bunch of times. Leon, uh, if you're a newer fan, for, there was a long period of time where Leon was getting uh, deep in Champions League regularly. And uh, they, they would do it for them, and they've done it for PSG the last few years. So the, it, it, it may not affect uh, PSG and Monaco to go deep in the Champions League as much as it would affect English clubs, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, so Kantik, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier on to uh, some of the uh, things that you loved the, so far from this past week. And uh, for me, uh, actually, we haven't talked about this until now, but Chivas against Club America, I absolutely loved the Facebook Live broadcast. Uh, this is one of the most exciting games I've seen in quite a long time, other than the Man City-Monaco uh, game. But, uh, but it was a good attacking game, very fast-paced. 
uh, very physical, as you said, very chippy, uh, lots of fouls flying in. Not, not just fouls, but like really hardcore fouls. I mean, I'm surprised there weren't uh, more yellow cards or, or red cards in this game. Uh, but Nico Cantor, who did the uh, commentary for this one, or the lead commentary, um, for Chivas' goal from the penalty kick, a really good, excellent goal call. Uh, definitely uh, just, just up there with uh, Andres Cantor. And um, I liked the broadcast, too, in terms of the way they set it up. So it was, uh, it was three of them. I actually would have preferred two rather than three. It was a little bit uh, tough to kind of uh, figure out who was speaking at the, the, the different times. Um, Nico Cantor, uh, Ramses uh, Sandoval, and uh, Guadalupe Venegas. And I thought th- th- three is too many. Uh, two would have been great. But they read out the comments on air, too. So, so on Facebook Live, on Facebook, people were posting comments about uh, you know, things going on in the game. They were reading those out on air. I really like that. A uh, couple of things I didn't like about it, and again, this is the first time, so maybe they can fix this for the future. But um, they had throughout the entire game, they had uh, the scoreline graphic uh, right, kind of uh, lower center on on the screen the entire game. So at sometimes uh, like a key moment, or the ball would uh, go into that section, and you couldn't see it because the graphic was on top of it. Uh, I'm sure they did that probably for people tuning in uh, on Facebook Live at any moment so they can see what the scoreline was. But personally, I didn't like that. And then the only other thing I didn't like was um, a halftime. There was no halftime discussion. It was just basically they just had music playing in the background. And so with nothing, it's like a 15-minute wait of kind of waiting for them to come back. So I was watching it, trying to see if they would have some discussion or some analysis uh, but none of that, so we missed out on that. But overall, I thought the broadcast was great. From what I could see, there was about 24,000 people uh, watching it, and uh, the number might have been higher maybe, maybe later on, but uh, I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. And, and listening to an English-language broadcast of, of a Liga MX game uh, was brilliant. I mean, the, the, the football on display was great. I, I really enjoy it, enjoyed it and really look forward to uh, doing it again. Yeah, the the number fluctuated from what I understand between 22 and 26. I have to admit, I watched this game on Univision, forgot about the Facebook Live. I kind of wish I had watched it on Facebook Live now. I'll have to do that for uh, Liga MX uh, this uh, this coming weekend, or, or maybe it won't be this coming weekend because I'm uh, going to be uh, at, at an MLS-friendly Saturday night. But uh, MLS, last weekend of preseason in MLS, by the way, but maybe uh, maybe the following week. The uh, the thing that for me was so interesting on Saturday night was you had a game on Univision you, uh, and on Univision Deportes, same game. Uh, you had a game on Unimas and you had a game on Azteca America at the same time. I mean, the coverage of the, the blanket coverage of Liga MX, if you live in a television market with, uh, in, I think, the largest Hispanic markets in, in the country, they all they get all they have affiliates of all these networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you got three games potentially over the air at the same time. That, that's incredible. That's I don't know. I have to look back and see if that's the first time it's happened. Uh, oftentimes, Azteca America doesn't have games because of their, their rights uh, situation. And, and I think that's something we got into last week with Jonathan Tannenwald, that maybe League MX needs to consolidate their rights mm-hmm. and, and, and do something different with that. But it was kind of neat because I was able to channel surf. Although, look, I tried to channel surf with the other games, but the Chivas America game was so good that I ended up just settling on that. Yeah, the commentary uh, or analysis or discussion on, during Facebook Live, too, it was, it was actually a lot more conversational than I imagined it would be. So there was a lot of, which actually was helpful, too, because there was kind of um, 
I don't know if it was Ramses or, or Guadalupe talking, oh, yeah, actually, Nico, too. They were talking about some of the history, some of the things that happened in the past, and, uh, you mean, a year ago, this happened in this game, and watch out for this. So it was educational, also, at the same time, um, without being condescending. And, you mean, Fox does that very poorly, I think, and, and, and Univision, in this example, did it really well. But Nico Canto, I mean... In English, I mean, his commentary style, I mean, of course, he's learning from one of the best, but his commentary style in English was superb. I was really, really surprised at how how great his voice sounded. Um, I didn't think it would be that good. It was really, really good, and I really enjoyed it. And it kind of, to me, it sucked me right into that broadcast. Um, and the game itself, I mean, the, the atmosphere at the stadium was, uh, Chivas' stadium was brilliant. Um, the picture quality was great. There was no buffering issues. I mean, everything was uh, was set up perfectly. Interestingly, I've I've reached out to Univision to get uh, to find out. You mean what's this, this, what's scheduled for the rest of the season in terms of these games? Because they will be showing. I think it was about forty other games. Um, they haven't announced that yet. So maybe maybe they take it week by week and just uh, wait to the last minute to figure out which game it'll be. But I'm sure once we find out, um, I'll, I'll get the word out there on uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Now, Kartik, that was my high point. Uh, my low point. Uh, was the Fox Sports coverage of Man City against uh, against Monaco. And I don't think a lot of people noticed this, but Kartik, they staged John Strong and Stu Holden being at the stadium. So in the, pre-ga- the pre-match, um, pre- the pre-game, the UEFA Champions League pre-game show from the 2 to 2.30 Eastern time, they showed a shot of John Strong and Stu Holden dressed up in suit and ties, uh, standing, uh, basically, and with a camera angle, it looked like they were in the stadium. And I'm like, wait a second, they're at the stadium. I'm like, I, I, I'm surprised by this. They didn't say anything about this. But all everything I was watching after that point was trying to look for clues as far as whether the, they were there or not. And I found out later that they weren't there. They staged the whole thing, made it look like they were actually at the stadium. But they weren't. They were in the L.A. studios doing the broadcast from there. And I thought that, that was really misleading, uh, very uh, un- unauthentic. I mean, if you're going to be doing the broadcast, okay, great, but don't have a green screen behind you making it look like you're at the stadium when you're not, when you're at the studio. And I thought that was a huge uh, low point for Fox. I mean, there was something, especially with John Strong and Stu Holden, which to me are two kind of the, the rising stars. You mean, to do that is kind of, you mean, to, to soccer fans, is kind of a, I don't know, to me, a slap in the face. It is, but I think... I would take a different view on that, which is that uh, there is there is a a sense that you're not taking an event seriously if you have player uh, people calling games off of a studio uh, off of the monitors in, in the studio. And uh, American sports they don't they don't do that, right? They're always at the games, uh, generally, uh, almost ninety percent of the time they're at the games. So uh, it, it, it may be for people who are non traditional soccer fans who are tuning in, it, it may have given them a feel like these two guys were at the Etihad and that uh, this is a serious event and this is a serious sport. So I, I, I kind of take it from a different perspective. I hear what you're saying and you're right. The other point I would make on this is that John Strong a few times during the broadcast referred to the UEFA feed mm-hmm. uh, being uh, being off when they were looking at replays, yep. uh, particularly about the two penalties, or actually, excuse me, the one penalty that was called and the one penalty that was not called. Uh, he was very honest and forthright about that, saying, hey, we we didn't see the, we're, we're, we're dependent on UEFA's feed, we didn't see that angle. 
And I wonder if maybe he wasn't supposed to do that, but that's just a natural call. And by the way, I mean, I, I know I've said this time and again, but um, when you listen to John Strong call a game, you don't realize he's a guy with an American accent. Mm -hmm. Call one of these games. It seemed very, very natural for him calling this Man City Monaco game. Quite frankly, I, I didn't, th I didn't think it, it was any. Uh, I, I don't think we missed anything by not having one of the uh, British commentators. Now, Stu Holden is growing into that role as, as an analyst that can complement his, uh, his quality, uh, John Strong's quality. He's not quite there yet, but he's getting there, and I'm glad they're giving him these games to bring him up to that level because uh, Holden definitely has a lot of potential, and he knows the game both in Europe, or at least he knows the game in, in Britain and in the United States as well. Yeah, John Strong was fantastic in that game. Again, I mean, he did the uh, the Arsenal game the week before, and uh, I mean, no complaints. He's been fantastic. I mean, the goal calls he did were, were brilliant. Uh, I, I noticed that too in terms of the UEFA feed. He was kind of saying, even during the um, yeah, there were a couple of incidents. Uh, I think even during the build up to the game, he kind of just mentioned, okay, well, this is the UEFA feed, and you know, that's kind of the UEFA director is kind of providing us that that uh, that feed. Uh, and by the way, and by the way, I, 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 this is a good time to bring it up, and maybe this is a topic for another show. But UEFA's feeds, UEFA's camera angles are not as good as we're used to with uh, the Premier League, mm -hmm. and this is uh, this is another issue where. Look, we like to beat up on Fox, but this is something Fox can't control. I know right. there are people saying, well, on NBC, you get all these different angles of the Aguero non-call, and we only got these are Man City fans complaining in the U.S., uh, and uh, a lot of them are recent Man City fans, so they don't really have the kind of historical perspective on this that you and I might have. Yet, uh, Fox only showed us these two angles. Well, that's not the fault of Fox. That's the right. fault of UEFA, and their production level is not as good for these games, and we know this, as it is for Premier League games. Now, granted, they have, they have to produce all of these games. They have to produce all the Europa League games, which, it, which I'm sure is a pain, uh, although <laughs> you know, we were able to use uh, some of those Europa League highlights. The fact that they produce every game was uh, useful for us at Boca FC this week because we signed a player that's played in a number of Europa League games and we were able to use those clips. But um, that, that's uh, something to keep in mind when you consider Fox's broadcasts the actual game broadcast, we're not talking about the studio, but the game broadcast versus NBC's, is that the production quality and level from UEFA and the number of camera angles isn't quite as, as good as Premier League productions, particularly on those top Premier League games, which Arlo White and Graham Wilson and Lee Dixon called. Agreed. Yeah, most definitely there. Agree with you, Kartik. But yeah, I think Stu Holden's uh, doing a great job. I think he's... Um I think there's still room for improvements, but but for for the most part, I mean, he's he's there. He's at a high level, uh, doing extraordinarily well with the commentating role. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was kind of basically Fox trying to trick the viewer. And uh, with NBC Sports having you know, Arlo White and Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso uh, at matches every week, that we become accustomed to that, enjoy that. Um, and there's a difference with having them there in the stadium, but by Fox trying to trick the viewer into believing that they were at the stadium. Uh, I don't think they even need to do that. I mean, yes, it'd be great to have them at the stadium, to have them commentating from, from the gantry and you mean, seeing things that um, you, mean, you wouldn't be able to see off, calling it off the monitor. But I just thought it was like a really kind of a low point in terms of Fox's coverage, something that they didn't need to do when you have somebody of the caliber of John Strong and Stuart Holden. Yeah, it's also an overload of uh, properties, unfortunately, for Fox now, because you, it's not just budgeting. 
as to why they're not sending right. Strong and Holden over. It's because they have MLS starting up. They have CONCACAF Champions League. Europa League. They have all of these Europa League. They have all of these things that they have to, that they're having to show in, in rapid fire within the course of the same week or, or same period of time. So they um, are very limited in there. And obviously Bundesliga also, even though they don't use these these guys on Bundesliga, although they have used John Strong on some Bundesliga broadcasts, yeah. although they seem to be pulling back from that. Uh, maybe the next time Bayern plays uh, Dortmund, if that ends up being a Fox Network game, they'll use uh, they'll u- they'll use John Strong again. But they um, unfortunately, and this is this is not on Fox. This is on American soccer in general. There was only one John Strong, right? We have a. Right. Uh, uh, who else? He's an American play-by-play guy. Maybe Phil Shane. JP. Uh, that kid. Uh, JP. Okay, yeah. JP, though, they have the same issue with. They, he, and he's got uh, responsibilities uh, broadcasting uh, uh, the uh, – I'm not sure if he'll continue to broadcast New York Cosmos games this year, but also Philly Union games and, uh, and all of these uh, other properties Fox has. So you've got three guys, right, and only two of them are at Fox, one's at BN. And uh, you can't get JP – you can't fly him around the world. You can't fly uh, John Strong around the world. So mm-hmm. I guess we're stuck with them calling games off of monitors. And uh, John Strong does an exceptionally good job of that. Um, yeah. Maybe it's training, but he's, he's very, very good at that. He's very natural with it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll see John Strong probably uh, for the final in Cardiff, um, live at the stadium there, probably with Stu Holden. And it'll be real this time, which, which I'm looking, looking forward to seeing. I, I will say, though, Kartik, on that Fox broadcast of the, the Man City-Monaco game, uh, the pregame coverage was much better than usual. I mean, part of that probably, for me at least, was that uh, Grant Wall wasn't featured. Uh, I think he was away traveling, so they didn't have that. But the actual pregame coverage was tighter than usual. Um, they had a couple of d- different camera angles. Uh, and they also they gave away a jersey, so they gave away... Um, I think it was a Bayer Leverkusen jersey uh, to one of the viewers, and then they had people kind of retweet on Twitter to, you mean to, to, to try to get the word out there and try to enter. Uh, but I, I, I like that they didn't have the Fox Soccer Report, is what we've been calling it now for that uh, kind of ten or fifteen minute segment of MLS news. But um, so they were able to actually focus. They also on, had one all the in the studio, and, yeah. and there's there's a lack there's a discomfort with discussing MLS when he's. But he's there, so that, I think that might have driven it also. And he also can add a, a significant level of analysis, of actual analysis that their other guys in the studio don't provide. So, right. yeah, I, I think it, it it helped that 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 Winaldo was there and that they uh, they focused on the two games in front of them, which they don't often do in yeah. that on that block. It was refreshing. I, I actually enjoyed watching that to to actually have them focus on what I. Th- think they should be focusing on but um some of the other things Karthik, we're probably going to jump around a lot here too so one of the other things i've noticed is on we, we've we've noticed this for a while now for the last couple of years the thursday broadcasts of the europa league uh, on fox sports they've used that as almost like a laboratory so they've used that to experiment they had brian mcbride doing uh, co-commentaries they had you mean some john strong doing some of the games that's been their testing ground because they know that the the viewer numbers are not going to be as great but it's a great opportunity to, to use, use uh, Keith Costigan as, as a commentator and see how that works and try different things. And one thing that they did last week uh, for the first legs was they, they've been using Dr. Joe almost as a third person in the booth 
So um, even in games last week, I think the Spurs uh, Ghent game, and there was there was another. I think Man United against Sanetien. There were a couple of calls in there um, in terms of even decisions, whether offside or penalties, whatever they may be. But they kept on going back to, to Dr. Joe and say, okay, Dr. Joe, what, what do you think about this? A lot more than usual. And even in some of the, I think Ross Dyer and Brian Dunseth uh, did one of the calls too. And um, even for times where you wouldn't think that they'd pull him in, they pulled him in and say, okay, Dr. Joe, what about this? What, what do you think about this? Um, so that looks like a testing ground where they're trying to see how that works in the broadcast. And I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing Dr. Joe used almost as a third person uh, in the booth, um, maybe for the Gold Cup this summer, or maybe the um, Confederations Cup, or some other, uh, maybe MLS games perhaps. But uh, but anyway, interesting to note and something to, to keep an eye out for. Now, now of course, with MLS games, you have the video, uh, the, the VAR now. So... Well, I think that'll be after after the the All Star game. So right. Um, so once that that system is implemented mid season, uh, you're going to be in a in a in a position where uh, his role is repetitive. Now he could, of course, uh, we say it's repetitive, but he could, of course, question what the, what the VAR comes up with. And and uh, I think uh, Howard Webb has a big job now uh, taking over the VAR for for Major League Soccer because. The uh, the general sense is now there won't be any every, every bad call will be overturned. Well, it, do, it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. Uh, and there's a lot of ch- times uh, for those of you who watch uh, uh, American sports. I don't watch a lot of American sports, but I do watch uh, college basketball. That's really the one sport I watch besides soccer. And there was a game the other night, Miami versus Virginia, where uh, replays all of this stuff really didn't fit, couldn't uh, the, 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 the video evidence was too inconclusive mm-hmm. to overturn uh, some of some of the calls and it turns out Miami ended up winning in overtime anyway so it all worked out but um, that just reminds me there are MLS fans saying okay well we don't have to worry about all the bad calls anymore after VAR is in place because they're always complaining about officiating right everybody's always complaining about officiating yep. we're going to talk a little bit more, more about that later in the show uh, don't get your hopes too up because then the, the the video referee, the video assistant referee not overturning calls will become the talking point. Mm-hmm. Or, um, well, if we didn't have this program now, this goal would have stood and blah, blah, blah. And you know, are they influenced by the home crowd? All of that stuff will end up becoming uh, factors. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, about Dr. Joe is that um, I don't like – broadcasters using something just for the sake of using something. So we've seen that with sideline reporters sometimes where, to me, at some games they're, they're useful, but other games that they're kind of just meaningless. They're, I mean, they're just basically another talking head. And with Dr. Joe in this particular instance with the Europa League, there wasn't really that uh, controversial of calls where they pulled him in. They, kind of, they pulled him in and he, he agreed with Ross Dyer, whoever the commentator was. So it was just kind of pulling him in for the sake of pulling him in. Uh, and with the, the video assistant referee, we'll get more into that in, in terms of the listener mailbag. But um, I agree with you, Kartik. It's not going to solve everything. It's we talked a little bit about this last week too, and, and I think it's it's going to be it's gonna, it's a dangerous road to go down. It, it's a good road to go down, but it's not going to solve all our problems. But again, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, if there wasn't a uh, Chivas Club America game, and if there wasn't a Man City Monaco game uh, from this past week. Uh, thank God there was, but um, my favorite game would have been Burnley against Lincoln City. Uh, watch this one, FA Cup, on Saturday morning. 
I really enjoyed it. It was a really competitive game. Lincoln City played a similar style to Burnley and were competing just as as competitively as as Burnley was. And the difference in this game was Lincoln City was able to put put away the chances. Uh, How Joey Barton stayed on the pitch, I do not know. I mean, he should have been red-carded if once, if not twice in this match. Um, But I enjoyed it. it, To me, it was the magic of the FA Cup, which is now cliché. But it was well worth watch, watching, and uh, it was ironic that the the goal to, to decide this game was decided with the uh, the goal decision system, um, which to me, I mean, if, if MLS is going to go forward and be more tech savvy, which that that is one of their, their goals, to me, I'd rather bring in the goal decision system first rather than the video assistant referee. The video assistant referee still is down the road, still got kinks to work out, but I think you, you need to have a goal decision system in place first of all. Um, I mean, who knows, maybe the video assistant referee can help with that, but uh, anyway, I really enjoyed this game, and I thought um, the broadcast was great, and it was a really entertaining match to watch, and it was great to see uh, a non-league team beating a Premier League team seeing some history there. Right. Uh, Joey Barton became the other big talking point uh, this week on ESPN FC besides Mario Balotelli. It's funny how these two guys keep cropping up <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Discussion, uh, general consensus is that uh, Barton uh, misbehaved and was a hypocrite because he's called out diving and play acting in the past uh, very publicly on his Twitter account. Exactly. And then the other thing too, Kartik, it was kind of a rough week for Fox Sports. Um, there's the whole fiasco about the Blackburn Rovers, Man, City, um, Man United game on Sunday in the FA Cup. And what happened was it was originally scheduled for FS1. Um, on Saturday night, there was a NASCAR race, I think the Daytona, that was uh, postponed due to a rain delay. So I think on Saturday night, 9.30 Eastern, um, the decision was made to go ahead and reschedule that race for Sunday, I think at 11 o'clock, which is at the same time, or just about the same time as the Blackburn um, Man United game. And uh, Fox didn't put the word out there, so nobody knew until Sunday morning. Uh, if you watched the, the Spurs FA Cup game uh, against Fulham, you would, have, you would have picked up on it. But most Man United fans probably didn't watch that game, tuned in at 11 or 11.15 to watch the, the United game, and found that the game was, wasn't on. It was NASCAR, and it was on FS2. So then everyone who had... Who were, who's, and we've talked about this a lot, Kartik. Those people who are lucky enough or fortunate enough to have FS2 would have switched. Those people who can't get FS2 because of Comcast... We're probably left with trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? Do I go to, you mean, Sling? Do I have Fubo? What do I do? Do I go to the pub? Um, kind of an unfortunate circumstance. And to me, it would have been great if Fox had put the word out on Saturday night once the decision had been made and contacted some of the, the you mean, the soccer media people and said, okay, hey, FYI, just let you, your viewers know, your readers know, listeners know that this game has been changed and would have been moved. Uh, but it was very last minute, and um, there were a lot of angry people um, on, on uh, social media and elsewhere. Uh, yeah, so I didn't watch the Fulham, uh, the, the Fulham Spurs match. I, I've now uh, kind of gotten into this pattern of um, of watching uh, political shows, uh, Sunday morning uh, shows, which I did for years in my life, and, and, and really kind of stopped doing when. 
I got uh, when the Premier League became more accessible in, in this country about uh, 12 to 15 years ago. So I've gotten back into that routine the last few weeks, really, since Donald Trump became president, because they're so interesting. and There's so many compelling interviews. So I didn't bother with Spurs Fulham, but I had my DVR set for United and Blackburn. And so I'm watching reliable sources uh, on CNN at, at 11, which is a media. It's much like us, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a similar show for uh, – for general media, it's a media critique show, and then I, I've got my DVR running, so I'm not 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 concerned. And at one of the commercial breaks in reliable sources, I flip and see a NASCAR race on, and, I, and I'm taping this NASCAR race. And then I thought, my gosh, the game must be on Fox Soccer Plus. Bubba scrambled. Uh, I didn't find the game until the second half, mm-hmm. and then I realized, oh, it must be on FS2. And so. Um, I didn't get to DVR it, missed that, missed most of the game. And um, yeah, I, I guess it may have been beyond Fox's control in the sense that they're contractually obligated to show those NASCAR races on FS1. But geez, what, what a pain. And it just reinforced kind of where we are in the pecking order soccer wise. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, because I wrote a story about it on WillSoccerTalk.com, and people took it the wrong way, saying that, like, well, NASCAR gets bigger ratings than, than, the money, than soccer. And I agree with that. I have no problem with Fox putting that game, the, the, the race on FS1 and bumping the Man United game to FS2. I would have preferred, F, I mean, the FA Cup to uh, be I'm on not FS1. even sure it's about ratings. I think it's about uh, well, contractual obligations at this point. Right, right. Well, th- that too. That too. So there's two sides. Contractually, they probably have to show it on FS1, and that's the, what the agreement says. But also ratings-wise, you mean the number for NASCAR is going to be much greater than, than for soccer. And uh, a lot of people thought I, that was my take on it, but that wasn't my take on it. I have no problem with that. My problem is in terms of the lack of communication with Fox, letting people know to make plans ahead of time and say, hey, FYI, the game tomorrow has been bumped. It's going to be moved to FS2, so to so make plans accordingly. Um, yeah. So uh, in terms no, of... but it seems like any time you, you or I or someone else writes an article like this, you get um, this legion of soccer haters that come in and say, hey, well, uh, your sport doesn't have that much interest. Well, I mean, our, our friend Jonathan Tannenwald, who was on last week, he gets it all the time. Right. I know, well, you know, why do you spend so much time covering soccer and you know, no, no, one, no one cares and uh, they should be showing other things. They'll get the same ratings so or better ratings. And um, I, unfortunately, every time we have one of these preemptions, we have this conversation. And... Um, a lot of times, it's just a lot of ignorant fans coming over and leaving comments. Yeah, so I'm looking right now to see what the viewing number for that game was. So the Blackburn against Man United game um, on Sunday at FS2 was 195,000 viewers, which you know, for any Man United game, you mean on any you mean major broadcaster in the United States, that usually gets, I mean, 300,000 plus. I mean, people tuning into that to watch that easily. Um, and I'm looking to see, in terms of some of the other FA Cup games, well, the FA Cup game on Saturday, which is Wolves against Chelsea, that was on FS2 also. That was the 12.30 broadcast. Uh, that got 125,000. So there's definitely fewer Chelsea fans than Man United fans, but still, you would think the Man United one would have, would have been much higher if the word had got, gotten out. But, oh, well. I mean, it, unfortunately, it's typical Fox in terms of... Um, just doing a really poor job at, at communication. I mean, that's one of the biggest downfalls in terms of just getting the, the, the news out there, not just for this, but other things in general. 
Um, looking at other games, I watched the Sutton against Arsenal game. Um, I enjoyed watching this one up until maybe the halftime. <laughs> and then it was just so, so, such a one-sided game that it, it didn't look, look like Sutton was going to get back into it. Uh, although they, they did have a couple of chances. They had one shot that hit the, uh, the crossbar. Uh, what was interesting for me in this one, Kartik, was that the, in the pregame analysis, um, I'm not sure if you if you noticed this just in general, but Warren Barton sometimes is almost like a bully when he's doing his analysis. If someone doesn't agree with him, he seems to get kind of almost a little bit upset and, and kind of just gets really aggressive about taking his standpoint. And it was a discussion between Stu Holden and Warren Barton. I think it was about Wenger in terms of uh, whether or not he should stay or go. And Warren Barton was defending um, uh, Arsene Wenger. And Stu Holton kind of took the, the counterpoint and said, like, well, I think uh, you know, it's time for him to go. But it was interesting just in terms of body language. Uh, you could see that Stu Holden got a little bit ruffled in terms of how aggressive Barton was in, in his viewpoint. And reading bo- body language-wise, it definitely feels that it kind of like Holden was pushing back with his side of the analysis Barton would let go, and it was just a little bit uncomfortable just kind of seeing them back and forth. It, it definitely seemed that um, Holden was trying to stand his ground, and Barton wasn't liking that as he was pushing back. But anyway, it was interesting to, to watch that. Um, also, the commentary, too, was John Champion against uh, uh, Nokoku. And uh, to me, it's great hearing uh, Koku uh, doing games again. It's been, it's been a long time since we've heard him on the Premier League, actually probably a few years at least. And uh, all in all, it was, it was, a, it was an entertaining game to watch, especially the kind of build up and then up, up until halftime. Yeah, he he was he did a uh, an FA Cup game. Obviously, he did this game, but he did another FA Cup game in an earlier round. Yeah, I, yeah, I have missed him. I'm not yeah. sure uh, where he's been or, or, or what the uh, what the explanation was, is for that. At one point, he was uh, he was kind of the top dog as far as uh, uh, co-commentators in England, and, and yeah. he's obviously been supplanted. And by by a number of folks, we see this kind of rotation as guys fade in and fade out in terms of uh, uh, co-commentators. At one time, Robbie Earle, who's now on uh, obviously on NBC and has been stateside for for many many years now, what was that guy? Yep. Actually, in England, the people may not realize this. Uh, twelve years ago, ten to twelve years ago, he was the guy getting the uh, the eleven a.m. Eastern time. Sunday kickoffs being paired with Martin Tyler, being paired with Rob Hawthorne or whoever, Ian Dark, whoever was calling that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is obviously um, a rotation of those guys. Danny Higginbotham seems to be the big one now. Yep. Uh, we saw him come in to NBC for uh, for one of the games, which was great. But uh, uh, it, it was good to hear Epinokoku. I agree with you on that. Yeah, it used to be, uh, for some of our older listeners who've been watching the Premier League for a long time, it used to be that the 12.30 game on Saturdays always used to be commentated by Steve Vanyard. And yes. uh, we don't hear him much anymore. Uh, the 7.30 games on Saturday oftentimes was uh, Nigel Winterburn. Uh, the former Arsenal player. But I think, I think what happens to a lot of these guys is actually they end up going to the Middle East and getting jobs, uh, whether it's with the BN or uh, other uh, broadcasters, and doing a lot of work for them. I think Ray Wilkins does a lot, lot of work. Sky had that on that uh, 1245 British kickoff, uh, 745 a.m. U.S. time. They would, all, they would have Ian Dark and, and yep. Andy Gray call that for years right. uh, as a team. And obviously uh, Ian Dark 
Well, now Ian Dark's back in the UK calling games, but also his profile's higher in the US. Does And we, we saw even it was a Premier League match day, right? And he skipped it and, and came and did a US game when the US played uh, friendly on a non, non-FIFA date. And then uh, Andy Gray, of course, is you know, along with Richard Keyes, is at BN Sport in, in Doha. Yeah, a lot of guys go to the Middle East. Some guys go to Asia. Some guys have even come here. We mentioned Ravi Earl. Yeah. So th- that's uh, that's the rotation, I think, that, 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 that happens because the Premier League is such a big television league. And it's such a big television league outside of the U.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that kind of uh, um, creates this, this situation. Which is which is great if you're a commentator though or a co-commentator in terms of at least like looking to travel to Asia or the United States uh, to to live live for a few years in the. But no, and I have to say uh, the the thing about Andy Gray and Richard Keys is that they seem to always get guys to go to Doha and sit down with them midweek. Uh, Arsene Wenger does it all the time uh, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's because they're they seem to be very much in Wenger's corner those those guys but um <laughs> at a time when not many media are but um because as, as gray will always point out uh having been a guy who played english football and commentated about english football the whole time that the game fundamentally changed because of arson Wenger and, and english football owes him uh, i'm not sure they owe him 10 years of not winning anything but still right. um but there are guys that will go to the Middle East midweek that are prominent people in English football to, um, to go talk with, with BN. And then there are also uh, co-commentators, uh, former players, match analysts that come and spend a weekend in Doha uh, to do, to do BN's coverage for the Middle East and, and the places they have Premier League rights. So uh, that, that, that takes more guys away from Premier League productions and, uh, at, give, at a given time and from Sky and BT. And, and then I think there's also the element of ITV and BBC kind of being out of the football game. Uh, obviously, Match of the Day is still on BBC, but ITV losing all of rights over the course of the last few years, not having as much in the way of properties. And that talent floating, uh, well, that's how Lee Dixon even with NBC, uh, floating around and, and going to other places. Mm-hmm. And I should add to this, this is being sports, uh, Middle East and North Africa. So, uh, right, 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 right. So, so it's not, not the same being, well, it is the same being as what we get, but we don't get that coverage. Uh, it is part of the same company. And, uh, and actually at times, I think, um, Kay Murray has gone over to, uh, to Doha to do some broadcasts. And vice versa. I think sometimes they've had some of their talent come to Miami to. Yeah, um, Andy Gray will come to Miami for Copa. He did in 2015. Right. I want to say maybe for 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 uh, some of the South American qualifiers, Andy Gray will come over. But that's uh, that that normally it's the other way, right? But mm-hmm. people are going to Doha. So before we move to segment two, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor SeatGeek for helping us uh, make this show possible. Uh, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites uh, want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come a long way and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier for fans like you and, you and I to uh, buy and sell tickets. I have the SeatGeek uh, app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets for the Gold Cup this summer. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make uh, life easier for sports and music fans. 
SeatGeek uh, does all of the price comparisons for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best deal possible. SeatGeek does all the work and saves you time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats, and you'll be able to, to see the best deals uh, that fit your budget. And best of all, for listeners to World Soccer Talk, uh, we, we, we and you get a $20 uh, rebate off uh, your first uh, SeatGeek purchase. And to get your $20 rebate uh, on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the, to the settings tab, and click add a promo code, and then enter promo code WSTPOD. Again, that's WSTPOD. And then SeatGeek will give you uh, $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter your promo code WSTPOD today. Now, Kartik, uh, into segment two, which is the TV streaming news. Um, I'll kick off this first one. And we talked about this last week on last week's show about um, the FA Women's Super League and then the UEFA Women's Champions League. And we were talking about like whether or not in the U.S. we'll be able to watch any of these games and you mean, who would be a likely uh, suspect in terms of maybe picking up some of these rights to these matches? Well, the latest scoop is that the decision about um, the UEFA Champions League uh, women's games in the U.S., we don't know for sure like, who's going to actually carry them, but we do know that uh, there will be one game coming up, the Man City uh, women's game against uh, Fortuna Hurring, which is a, a team from uh, Denmark, on March 23rd. And that's going to be shown live um, by a new site, a relatively new legal streaming site. It's called mycujo.tv. And it's uh, an official website. It's, uh, they stream a whole bunch of different soccer games. Their, basically, their focus is on the long tail of soccer streaming uh, games. So they're helping uh, fans watch club games and league games um, from around the world. They're often overlooked by major broadcasters. So the game that they have is the March 23rd game between uh, Fortuna Hurring and Manchester City. It's going to be shown live and for free. And that's going to feature Man City's women's team, which hopefully will feature Carly Lloyd, as well as uh, England's uh, Steph Houghton, and probably some others, I'm sure some other stars too. And uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, Jill Scott, Izzy Christensen, a good, good core of uh, Karen Bardsley, a good core of English players. Karen Bardsley, of course, uh, born and raised in the United States, but a an uh, England international for Man City, the goalkeeper. Uh, so they lot a lot of stars to watch. And Steph Houghton, of course. Actually, the captain of the U.S., Carly Lloyd, and the captain of uh, England, Steph Houghton, both playing for Man City. Yeah, 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 which is great news, too, that people will be able to watch this game. So, again, it's March 23rd. It's on uh, the website is mykujo.tv. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, so if people want to check it out. Uh, they also have the rights to the Danish Women's Football League and also matches from the women's teams of uh, FC Zurich and Brescia. So uh, something to keep an eye out. They also have some other rights to other leagues and, and, and clubs from around the world. Um, a lot of it is kind of like second division or third division um, leagues. But still, if you're a huge hardcore soccer fan and you're looking for these matches, here's an alternative. And uh, hopefully they'll be showing more of um, the women's soccer, which is, which is great news. And in Kartika, how about you? What's the news going on in uh, your end of the world? 
So uh, there's a new study about Chinese digital media, and I found this fascinating. The Bundesliga is number one among Europe's football leagues uh, in terms of uh, internet, social media, e-commerce, and apps. Uh, this puts the uh, Bundesliga ahead of the Premier League and, and all the other leagues in China, which is amazing because that is a market that every league wants to conquer, and uh, oftentimes we don't have a great reading on in the West, what's going on in China. But we know that there's so much that's geared towards the Chinese market. I think also the Bundesliga having games earlier in the afternoon, uh, German time, Central European time, uh, allows for people who are up late in China to watch those games live. Uh, whereas there, there, you have virtually no chance of seeing most La Liga and uh, Serie A matches mm-hmm. based on start times. Although we did see the Super Classico moved up, right? El Classico, excuse me. I'm right. thinking of Chivas America, right? <laughs> We're in that mode this week because of that great match on Saturday night. And we did see El Classico moved up. Uh, to, the start time moved up to... to, to 10 uh, Right, to try and push for the Chinese market mm-hmm. and the Asian market. But to me, this was fascinating. So the Bundesliga, who we, we've often kind of criticized here and, and felt uh, they're behind, uh, behind the times in terms of uh, conquering foreign markets, uh, doing quite well in China. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, though, too. I think watching some of the Dortmund um, preseason friendlies last summer uh, from China, and it's just amazing how many uh, Dortmund fans were in the stadium you mean, kind of wearing, not just wearing the shirts, but ha- having banners, just going crazy when um, the BVB came out to, to play. I, I can't even remember who they played, but um, but yeah, it, it just goes to show it's it's a, uh, a continent that's in its infancy in terms of um, watching. You mean kind of high level soccer, and for the internet, social media, e-commerce, and apps, um, Bundesliga is number one there, which is which is great news. Uh, the US is a different story in terms of you mean know, it's a already. We're not in an infancy by any means, and uh, they've got a lot of catching up to do, but uh, still positive signs, and hopefully they'll be able to kind of take some of the lessons from China and implement those into into the U.S. perhaps. So some other big news, Kartik, and this is actually probably the biggest news of the week, and uh, it's an exclusive to World Soccer Talk and to our listeners, and that is that the decision about who will win the bidding for the UEFA Champions League TV rights in the U.S. for 2018 to t- 2021 is imminent. And according to my source, uh, the broadcasters who are believed to have entered bids are Fox Sports, ESPN, NBC Sports, and Turner Sports. Now, Turner Sports uh, is a surprise uh, name there. Turner Sports owns TNT, TBS, and also Bleacher Report. And uh, perhaps they're looking to maybe get some uh, streaming rights for Bleacher Report and then have some of the TV rights uh, on TNT. Um, Turner Sports also owns, actually, T- uh, Turner Sports uh, runs NBA TV for the National Basketball Association. So they have a lot of experience in terms of kind of uh, running sports networks. And uh should be interesting to see who wins this one. Hopefully, it might take a few weeks before we find out, but uh, who's your pick on uh, the winner here, Kartik? Well, this will be interesting. I think Fox Sports are the incumbents and, and they might have an edge. Uh, ESPN has, indep- has uh, submitted an independent bid, but obviously have been sub-licensing games from Fox Sports. I think Fox is probably the favorite. Uh, NBC could use the, the the property. They could use another soccer property, and they could use programming midweek uh, on NBCSN, which doesn't have much in the way of uh, midday, midweek programming. Uh, Turner Sports hasn't covered soccer since the um, 
since the WUSA, which was two women's leagues ago, uh, they, they had the rights and showed those games on TNT, uh, in addition to the PAX game, which I know we talked about last week with uh, uh, PAX TV, which was based here in Palm Beach, which um, uh, Jonathan Tannenwald and us discussed. Uh, I could see Turner making an interesting bid because they've got uh, they've been they were able to somehow tempt the NCAA tournament off of uh, the NCAA tournament had an exclusive deal with CBS for 20 years where every single game was shown on CBS. Uh, from from the first round onward, they would regionalize broadcast. They would flip. They would. It, it, it left a lot of fans dissatisfied. I mean, I had I had this dilemma when I would be traveling and and the team I wanted to watch, the University of Miami, the University of Florida, weren't on where I was because CBS was regionalizing all the games. In 2010, somehow Turner tempted uh, the NCAA to take most of those rights. Uh, CBS still shows parts of the tournament and usually has the final four, but. Uh, to take them onto cable, and they put together an interesting package with streaming and 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 uh, NCAA March Madness, which they produce the uh, the app and the um, the streaming property. I could see them doing something similar for UEFA, saying, "Hey, we've got we've got multiple channels. We've got TNT, we've got TBS, we've got this uh, Bleacher Report uh, website. We've got exposure for you on CNN, which um, which is why CNN has these Bleacher Report features about sports during their news programs." Uh, I could see them making a pretty interesting uh, and compelling bid for uh, for uh, UEFA. Now, will it monetarily reach the Fox bid? I'm not sure it will. Uh, but if UEFA is looking to increase your exposure and being with a partner that doesn't have another soccer property and has shown, look, I mean, there were years and years and years. Now we're going way back. But there was a long period of time when the NBA was not on ESPN mm-hmm. and Turner Sports really kind of built the NBA property in the 1980s and 1990s to the point where it is where it is now. And um, there is a there is a template there that uh, they could follow with UEFA Champions League. So I, I think that they have a shot. Their bid will probably not be as high. If I had to bet, I would say Fox keeps the rights. Yeah, Turner Sports, uh, if you remember, too, 1990 World Cup in the U.S. Uh, well, right, It was in right. Italy. It was on TNT. So I remember watching a lot of those games on uh, TNT way back when. Um, I think in terms of this one, I think it's ESPN is probably the most desperate to get back into the game in terms of having a lot more um, European rights. Um, and I would think that ESPN would put in a pretty high bid. I still think Fox Sports is the favorite to, to get it. Uh, NBC Sports, I don't see as, as being... Uh, they probably want to be involved in, in the process, but I don't see them as uh, pushing really hard because they've spent so much money on the Premier League. But... Um, I think Fox Sports will regain the rights, but I think ESPN is the one that's uh, to keep an eye out for. Uh, Turner Sports, I'm with you, Kartik. I think it'll be. Um, it's interesting that they're competitive, but they may not be as competitive in the in the bidding process, perhaps. And then Kartik, um, what about uh, the soccer tour? Can you tell us about more about that? Yeah, Steve Bernasconi, who, who I've worked with for the last five years, or actually now in the last six years, uh, NASL for Loyal Strikers, various projects, uh, he's kicking off the soccer tour Saturday in St. Petersburg, uh, Florida, for the um, Suncoast Challenge, which is a, a uh, preseason tournament with five uh, MLS teams and one USL team, the USL team being the Tampa Bay Rowdies. He's going to be on the road, living out of his car, and... Uh, people's homes and bed and breakfasts and hotels and all that stuff for eight months 
The soccer tour will culminate in Los Angeles on October 14th. He's going to hit Orlando the following week, go through Jacksonville, North Carolina, uh, Washington, D.C., go up the East Coast, hit all the big Midwestern uh, teams like FC Cincinnati and Chattanooga. Uh, when he swings back south, be there for Atlanta stadium opener, hit the Gold Cup, and hit uh, Cascadia. It's going to be quite an awesome project. And and uh, he will hit every MLS and NWSL city and many USL, NASL, and PSL cities. So I encourage people to check out thesoccertour.com. And we'll be uh, tracking Steve's progress as he makes this tour. And he's going to be producing videos from each stop. So that's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I think the YouTube angle in terms of watching uh, kind of his discoveries or just kind of his experiences as he goes around the United States, to me at least, will be the most interesting aspect of this. Um, I watched a couple of the videos, I think kind of the trailer, and then there was a, an interview with him that uh, I think one of his friends did. But interesting, very, very interesting. He seems like a, like a, a guy that uh, is very passionate and um, also a good communicator in terms of kind of sharing his experiences and uh, Bobby Kartik, I, if, if I was younger and uh, wasn't married with kids any longer, I mean, I'd love to go on this journey to kind of go around the United States, go into these different cities and watching all these different uh, uh, leagues and, and teams. So Kartik, uh, I think that's it for the TV streaming news. So let's move on to the next segment, which is focusing on TV ratings. Um, we'll run through these pretty quickly, but uh, the big news of the week is that uh, 2.4 million Soccer fans watched the Chivas against Club America Super Classico on Univision, which is also simulcasted on uh, Univision Deportes. Uh, that doesn't include the Facebook Live number, but um, that number wasn't huge. But still, 2.4 million people watched the uh, Super Classico. That's, uh, again, Liga MX is just uh, running away with it. Yeah, uh, unbelievably high number. And I, I was uh, I was seeing maybe 2 million last week and it ended up being 2.4 million. And then uh, one other piece of news in terms of uh, viewing numbers is that NBC's live stream of the Spurs against Chelsea match, and this is going back to January 4th, uh, ranks as the second most uh, streamed Premier League match ever for unique devices. So they measured that there was 202,000 people that watched this game through uh, unique devices. So you mean, if I was at home watching it on my laptop and then I switched it over to my phone, that's two devices there. But 202,000 people, uh, 202,000 devices still is quite an impressive number in terms of a big match and just goes to show that people are watching these games, not just on your TV, um, but also on other devices too. And uh, yeah, pretty impressive numbers there, Kartik. Yeah, that, that's uh, an encouraging number, no doubt. And then the next segment is Listener Mailbag. And the first uh, question or comment is from Scott, who's from McAllen, Texas. And he writes, uh, I wanted to thank you guys for announcing the Super Classico in English on Facebook Live. I wouldn't have known about it if you guys didn't, didn't announce it. I think Univision Deportes did a really good job. It was a nutty game to start off with, but they made it exciting, full of headlines with the uh, Club America red card and America's ma- manager, uh, La Volpe, getting ejected for tripping uh, a Chivas player on the field. And it could cost him his job. I enjoyed hearing English in game analysis of Liga MX. And I hope in the future that they can put uh, the English commentary in SAP like they do for the Friday night MLS games. And then, Kartik, I think as we noted, too, on last uh, episode, too, we kind of noted, asked Univision if they're planning on doing that, having the SAP uh, English commentary available for TV broadcasts. 
and they said no. So uh, not at this time, maybe in the future, but maybe they're waiting to see how the Facebook Live uh, implementation goes, but uh, so far so good there. All right, Kartik, the next, next uh, email is from a uh, listener by the name of Anthony Bello. Uh, this one's a long one, but uh, it's, it is an important one. So it says, um, I would like to bring up a point to you guys brought up after the City Spurs match and the Raheem Sterling non-penalty call about bad calls by officials uh, ruining the entertainment value of the Premier League. Well, in my case, it has. I've been a Palace fan uh, since uh, 2010. At that point, Palace was in the relegation zone of the championship, we stayed up that year, and then three years later got promoted to the Premier League. It was an amazing ride, winning only one of our first uh, eight Premier League matches and watching the team stay up, followed by seeing Alan Pardew take the team into the top half the next season. Then we were in sixth place on Christmas Day 2015, poised to do something special. Then everything went off the rails. Now it's a different story. The team is mired in a funk. They've uh, replaced Pardy with a man who should be in jail and are in the relegation zone. I can't watch matches anymore because I get so fed up, it ruins my day, my weekend, and my week. Uh, the losing doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that there's been uh, numerous games throughout the season, um, through last season or, or, the, or this, that could have been different if the referees made the correct call. Take a five-day sequence during the crucial festive period if Mike Jones, the referee, uh, calls Robert Snodgrass for a blatant dive and you take the resulting penalty out of the equation, Palace beats Hull 3-2. Then in the next match, um, I think uh, Piagba was offside on the first uh, first goal. You take that out and the game ends in the 1-1 draw. Instead of uh, having one point out of six, Palace would have had four out of six. Pat Party doesn't get fired and Big Sam is nowhere near our club. Still, there are more cases I can cite where I've been sitting in front of my television cursing at the officials. Mark Clattenburg not playing advantage in the FA Cup final or Zaha not getting a penalty after the Liverpool defender uh, shoved him over. But it's not just Palace. Seemingly in every round of the Premier League, some refs put on some horror show that leaves me scratching my head. And the idea that I have a better angle to make the call from uh, in my living room than the referee does, uh, does is ridiculous. What is even more ludicrous is the fact that despite all the bad calls the Premier League has, there is no plan to implement video technology next season. And he links to an article in the Daily Mail that's headlined, uh, Premier League has no plans to bring in video referees before 2018. And uh, he notes that um, both the Bundesliga and MLS will implement it. He goes on to say, if the league wants to keep its, uh, keep, keep its status as the best league for viewers in the world to watch, it has to keep up with technology. And if other leagues are letting the players on the pitch decide with games instead of uh, old men with whistles and flags, I will be more inclined to watch that league, even if it means getting up a half hour earlier and missing out on Rebecca Lowe um, and, the, and the two Robbies and, and Kyle. Sports are supposed to be fun, not infuriating. If anyone has, uh, is saying after a match, like, like I have for 2016 and 2017, why did I watch that game? The ref sucked. Maybe you should think about doing something different. In my case, this probably means watching Bundesliga next season, especially if Palace goes down. I love soccer, but I want to be entertained. Bad officiating is not entertaining. So if there's going to be any, uh, if it's going to come to the point when the, the fans of the Premier League start saying the refs are just uh, going to ruin the game, why should I watch? And the other question I have is, which league do you guys think has the best officials? 
All right, Kartik, a lot to digest there um, and, a, and a question at the very, very end. But, but what's your take on this in terms of um, whether referees are ruining the Premier League and, and uh, it could have a, an adverse effect on, on viewers? Yeah, they definitely have an adverse effect on viewers because there's no uh, there's no sense of justice and no sense of proportion in some of the calls. And there has been, again, going back to ESPN FC and Craig Burley, he's consistently talking about every week we're having this discussion about calls and, and just some blatantly bad calls. And I think it does affect viewership, especially for a sport that doesn't have the um, – the, the built-in engendered loyalties that other American sports have where there have been a rash of bad calls. There were a rash of bad calls uh, for a stretch of time in, in, in college basketball and college football, but you don't just give up on your on your clubs or on the league because of it. I think it's very different for soccer in this country. So uh, that uh, I, I agree with. I think uh, the Premier League has a long way to go, and part of it is the, is, is the speed of the league and the um, speed in which decisions have to be made by an, an official because of the pace. And, and, and also because I think the technical ability of players in England, maybe overall is it, high, but it's, it's the top players. It's not quite as high as it is in Germany, Spain, or Italy. So, uh, or France if, for that matter. So there's, um, there are more questionable decisions. There's more, um, there are more opportunities to make mistakes. Uh, so let me put it that way. Now, uh, looking at which leagues have the best officials right now, I would say Serie A. Um, there are um, good officials, but then there are also been a rash of bad calls this season. I think that there have been uh, some terrible calls in La Liga. La Liga, yeah. I'm kind of getting the same feeling as uh, I do from the Premier League as far as the, the, the officiating is concerned. I haven't been uh, thrilled with the officiating in Germany this season. I, I guess on the whole it hasn't been as bad as Spain or, or, or England. But um, I'm not really thrilled with the officiating anywhere. I think there's been uh, lots of high-profile errors, officiating errors in Major League Soccer, although there's um, – there seems to be layers of accountability in MLS after the fact accountability, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the calls stand always, and that will change with VAR, as we talked about earlier in the show. There's after the fact accountability in MLS that the other leagues don't have. Uh, a willingness of the league office, I think because there's such a peanut gallery of fans who complain about officiating um, in, in all leagues, but Major League Soccer especially, that um, – they reverse calls and reverse suspensions or issue suspensions after the fact a lot. There's, there's an average of one a week, I would say, in MLS. Reversal, call reversal, statement from the league office of saying that the officials got it wrong. But um, I don't know. I don't know where the best officials are because it's, yeah. it, it just seems to be a systematic problem. As the game gets faster, as the game gets more physical, and as, the game, as, as equipment becomes more um, equipped – to that physicality and, and that uh, speed of the game, it, it, the, the, um, the reaction time officials can make calls in mm -hmm. uh, changes. And then I think there's also an increase in the number of players trying to game the officials or game the system. Yeah. So um, that, that, that's, that's another problem. Yeah, that, that, that to me is, is the, the hardest part or the worst part of it is because, all right, Kartik, let's go back to the Champions League this, this, a couple of days ago. The Sergio Aguero... Um, penalty call or no, no in this case no call and he gets the yellow card for you what should that have been a penalty yeah 100 percent. yeah me too me too but but at the same time though you know i mean you can see that 
I can see the referee's take on it in terms of Aguero was kind of falling kind of into the tackle and then got hit. Um, so not that he dived, but he was kind of anticipating the contact, saw it was coming, was very quick, quick, and kind of uh, was hit. And, and, and to me, that, that's a penalty. But on the same time, you look at the replaying, you can, you can see the referee's viewpoint. To me, the, the way that the rules are set up makes it very, very difficult for the referee, especially with TV replay and us being able to watch it. Kind of uh, in I think in that case, the, uh, uh, the referee then uh, should not have issued a yellow card for simulation. That right. I can't see at all. If he wants to make no call, yeah. that's fine. And I think there's a pressure on the referees to either uh, – there, there's this – feeling that either it's a penalty or a simulation. There, there's, there's never a no call in, in the area, it seems, mm-hmm. these days. So in those sorts of situations, when there's contact, which um, I, I think is, uh, is unfortunate. So if the referees had a little more flexibility, I think there's, there's too much ambiguity, too much interpretation there. And we know every year they have these reinterpretations, these points of emphasis. Maybe you're in a position where... Uh, calls are made a little differently. Yeah, it's almost like you want to go back in time to say like the 1970s or 1980s and say, okay, when you watch some of those games, the highlights of those games, and you see people getting fouled in the box, and there's no penalty call, but when it's an egregious, <laughs> somebody misses the ball completely and then kicks the player, uh, you mean, whether it's back then or today, you can say, okay, that's definitely a penalty. But there is so much of a simulation. I, I, I think part of it also was in those days, teams weren't playing high defensive lines. Mm-hmm. They didn't have sweeper keepers. They didn't have keepers coming, charging out of their area. That wasn't the case in the Aguero right. situation. But I think that's the case a lot of times. But, where, uh, you got Hugo Lloris or whoever that just tears off of their line because right. Spurs under Pochettino play a high line and play their, play their defenders. Uh, their defenders are, are very advanced, and, and Lloris turns into almost a field player the way Spurs plays. I'm just using Tottenham as an example. There's yeah. several teams that do this, but um, that was the first one that came to mind since we're thinking about the Premier League. It, it just changes the way you officiate those games, unfortunately. So that, that's a factor as well, the tactics. Yeah, plus the speed of the game. I mean, the speed of the game is much greater than the 70s or 80s by far. But uh, I don't know. It's almost like you want to kind of just eliminate the gray area. I mean, if, it's, I mean, if, it, if it is blatant, then it's a penalty. If it's non-blatant, then you get away with it. But then, but then you mean, you have players you mean, trying to be non-blatant calls, like a push or a shove or something. Um, it's just too much gray area. And it, it's so hard, especially even with a video assistant referee coming into play, like we talked about earlier, it's going to make more things uh, more complicated because somebody then has to be subjective. It's not going to be the same person that's using that video assistant referee probably at every single Bundesliga game. It might be a different person. So his or her her viewpoints might be different in terms of uh, the subjectivity there. So at the end of the day, we just want to have consistency. Uh, And I guess with Howard Webb coming into play, maybe it'll make things better in terms of Major League Soccer. But is he going to be doing that for every single game? You know, what if it's, I mean, it becomes so popular that all of a sudden you use this for every, every MLS game and now you have like you know, four or five games happening at once. Um, it's difficult. I mean, hopefully, I mean, and going back to Anthony's question and kind of his, his uh, email, uh, he has good viewpoints and I think maybe, maybe video assistant referees can be the solution to that where at least, I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but at least it'll get better and some of those... Uh, decisions that were made in the past where he got upset with um, in terms of wrong calls being made. Maybe some of those are eliminated, not all of them, but um, in the future. 
So, so maybe things will get better, but it's, um, again, it's, I think it's a dangerous path to go down in terms of we're still a long way off um, from, from having, um, having this really work. Okay, Kartik, so let's move on to our featured topic of the week, and um, that is we were talking about most accessible soccer leagues to watch on the U.S. television. So you've come up with a list of your top five. I've come up with a list of my top five separately. And uh, so what we, mean, what we mean by this is basically what are the leagues that you watch on television that are easiest to watch? You mean like the fewest uh, hurdles and obstacles you have to jump through to actually be able to watch these. So Kartik, let's go in reverse order um, from five to one. And then um, feel free to, at any point, to shoot me down if you disagree with me. And, and I'll do the same to you, Kartik. But do you want to go first with your top five? Yeah, and, and I, uh, I took a little bit of a different approach. I talked about what are the most accessible leagues to watch on US TV and streaming. So I would say fifth is the Bundesliga. Uh, there are still some obstacles to the Bundesliga in terms of uh, uh, needing to, to pay for Fox Soccer Plus. But if you pay for Fo- or Fox Soccer to go. If you pay for Fox Soccer to go, you get every game. Uh, but um, And, of course, it's accessible in the sense that there is a lot of games on FS1, FS2, and Fox Soccer uh, Plus, and the occasional game on Fox over the year. So um, it's become much more accessible than it, than it previously was, although uh, there is um, uh, times where you're, you're, you're searching and, and, you, and you can't find where the Bundesliga games are. Also, Fox Soccer does a very good job of, of getting the highlight clips up and on YouTube. So that, that that's number five. Number four for me is the Premier League. Uh, we've talked we talked about this week in and week out. NBC, CNBC, NBC over the air. Uh, Premier League extra time. If you have the right cable system, you get all the games. You get all the games online with NBC Sports Live Extra. But you are paying for it as Jonathan Tanwell pointed out last week, you are paying for it, which is via um, NBC, uh, NBC Sports and paying for the channel. But it is incredibly accessible if you've got that. So it is, for me, the number one European league, the number one uh, league for, 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 uh, that, that people tend to watch, sexy leagues, uh, among a lot of fans. But that uh, still puts it number four overall in my uh, in my countdown. Number three, I have Liga MX for all the reasons we talk about consistently on this show. The accessibility on television, if you're in the right television market, which I think the, the concentration of fans generally are, you can get two, three, four games uh, each Saturday night. There are games on Sunday afternoons or games on Friday nights. You, you see just about everything Liga MX related. So that's number three on my list. Number two is USL, which... Uh, Every game is on YouTube. You can get every game streamed. Very few games on television, although there'll be a few this year on ESPN networks and uh, some over-the-air games for local teams. Number one, I have NWSL, which we talked about last week on the show. The deal with Lifetime, the A&E networks, uh, gives you a nationally televised game, and every game uh, is accessible uh, on YouTube and has been for the last few years uh, in, in this women's league. So it's very easy to watch. If you want to follow NWSL, it's very easy to follow. Um, not necessarily on television, but on streaming. So NWSL, I, I would shoot down from my perspective, Kartik, just because it's not on Sling Orange or Blue, and it's not on PlayStation View on the, uh, the Core Slim, uh, the Lifetime channel. But at the same time, though, too, I mean, it's going to open up um, a ton of access to people that are watching it on Fubo, or also on Lifetime, the, the TV channel. So, 
it's definitely going to be much, much better than, than before. Um, that's the interesting thing about all of this, though, Kartik, is that kind of in doing this, trying to figure out which is the most accessible leagues, there is no perfect league. There is no league in the United States where all of the games are shown on over-the-air television. Um, and that's part of the reason maybe why soccer has been held back a little bit in terms of it's hard uh, to be able to actually watch soccer unless you subscribe to two or three different services. Um, my take on the top five uh, in re- reverse order, number five is NASL. Uh, still a lot of question marks in terms of uh, the coverage for this particular season because we don't have all the answers yet. But with a combination of BN Sports, uh, CBS Sports Network, and ESPN3, uh, you've got most of the games, uh, the Cosmos games, we still have to wait and see what's happening there. Uh, the stumbling block there is the CBS Sports Network. Not everyone shows that yet. I still don't have it on my cable systems. Uh, but I believe Hulu, the new product, uh, should be having uh, CBS Sports Network. But so number five is NASL. Uh, number four is La Liga. And uh, even though it's not available on over-the-air television in the U.S., uh, it is on uh, BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol. Um, Every game, every game is shown. So the stumbling block, though, is some of the games would be on BN Sports Connect, which not everybody has. You can get it for Fubo, but you, depending on your TV provider, your cable or satellite subscriber, um, you may or may not be able to get that. Uh, with Fubo, you can get it no matter what. The other bonus, too, is Go90. So Go90 is streaming uh, quite a few of the La Liga games, and that's free. It's a free app, and you can watch it for free. So that's definitely... Makes it quite uh, accessible. Uh, number three for me is the Bundesliga. So you've got a bunch of the games on over-the-air Fox. Of course, you've got FS1, FS2, uh, F, uh, Fox Soccer Plus, uh, not so great. Uh, Fox Soccer to go. Uh, you, you have to have Fox Soccer to go if you want to see every single Bundesliga game. That's that's the only guarantee there. So not the greatest, but uh, still the over-the-air helps in terms of... Um, making that available to as many people as possible. Number two is the Premier League, and uh, you got over the NBC, which uh, Kartik, interestingly enough, it seems like almost every Saturday these days, um, most of the games are on NBC uh, instead of NBCSN. So I think this season, more than any, we, we've had more games on NBC over the air network. Uh, also, but then in addition to that, there's NBCSN, there's CNBC, there's USA, um, the stumbling block is the Premier League Extra Time games um, or the NBC Sports app. So depending on your TV provider, uh, if you have a TV provider, uh, you may or may not be able to access the uh, Premier League Extra Time or the NBC Sports app. So there's a stumbling block there. And then number one for me, Kartik, is Liga MX. Uh, available, most of the major matches are available on over-the-air Univision. Um, as well as Univision uh, Deportes, uh, NBC Universo, and then Azteca America. So uh, if you have over-the-air Univision, you can see I mean, most of the Chivas games, most of the Club America games. Uh, but if you want to see everything, you need to get Uni- NBC Universo and Azteca America. Uh, the bonus is Facebook Live. I mean, that, that makes it even more accessible now. That opens it up to more people. If you have an internet connection or a phone connection and you've you got Facebook, you can watch some of the games there. Uh, the stumbling block to me is really kind of Azteca uh, America, uh, not available on a lot of cable systems. Uh, you can get it through streaming, but uh, not on every single streaming device. So, Kartik, any, any thoughts on, on my, my top five there? You want to shoot, shoot any of those down? 
I, I think your your top five would be similar to mine if I were uh, focuses, focusing on TV and paid streaming packages. But I, I looked at, um, and probably the same order, because uh, if you notice, three, four, and five for me are the same as one, two, and three for you. I, I think um, yeah. the question about NASL being fifth, we, we, we can argue that versus Serie A. But uh, for me, I, I looked at which chan- which. Uh, leagues were on YouTube and very accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I've been able to watch uh, a remarkable amount of NWSL because it's on YouTube and go back and watch the games after and after. So I think I was uh, without having to log in, right? Like right. I do into uh, into Fubo or whatever, and then find the game. And then uh, sometimes with my Fubo DVR, you, you run out of games, you run out of slots, or the game disappears. So I think it was just that we were using a different criteria, but our conclusions were basically the same ba- based on. Uh, that one, two, and three for you being really one, two, and three for me if you take out the YouTube factor. Uh, I, I do want to remind folks, though, that uh, about the Bundesliga, you can find Bundesliga highlights more easily than you can find highlights of Liga MX and the Premier League. And uh, we have the reputation for beating up on Fox, but I want to give Fox credit for that. They, they make sure that's very accessible. If you subscribe to Fox Soccer on YouTube, you'll, you, you, you'll pop up in your feed. Yep. Yeah, most definitely. And out of all of those, probably the Premier League is the one that's got the uh, the worst highlights, uh, online highlights, digital highlights uh, option. It's, it's really you know, and and actually, uh, let's give the FA some credit here. The FA Cup mm-hmm. uh, is very accessible from an online highlights perspective. Yep. Um, usually, usually the day after, but the day after you usually get right. you mean almost everything, uh, as well as yeah. behind the scenes coverage, and uh, you've got the halftime cameras to kind of in, in the dressing rooms that adds a different dynamic uh, yeah. well look for Premier League highlights I uh, um, I depend a lot on club TV channels or club video channels yeah. to get those highlights yeah and I've, t- I've spoken to NBC Sports about this too and I said to them in the past I said trying to find highlights of Premier League matches on NBCSports.com is so difficult because not only do you have to hunt and peck to find them and once you do find them, then there's always the pre-roll. Um, so if you switch from one to the next, every single one you watch, there's that same dratted dra- 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 uh, pre-roll, which is a pain in the butt. Uh, and they don't have everything. And there's sometimes a delay. That it, it's messy. But, but the Bundesliga and Fox, like you said, make it, do a great job there. Um, what's interesting in the Kartik, too, if you look at these numbers, is that um, kind of the, the, the most accessible TV leagues... Uh, not surprisingly, these are the, some of the most popular leagues in the United States in terms of TV ratings. I mean, my number one is League MX. It's more accessible than any other league. And surprise, surprise, it's number one in terms of the most number of, view, of viewers. Um, Premier League is very accessible. Surprise, surprise, it's number two. So it goes on and on. So just a couple of more things, contact before we go. And, uh, uh, and, and I should point out... Um, I, I, I didn't think to factor this in, but the BN Sports... Property held leagues, because they don't get their highlights distributed in a logical way. From from my perspective, and probably your perspective also, that limits their exposure. So yeah. La Liga, because uh, BN does something very different with the highlights than Fox and ESPN and NBC do with leagues that they, well, ESPN doesn't have the rights to anything right now, but uh, NBC and Fox do with leagues that they have the rights to. Uh, that just makes uh, La Liga and Serie A and Liga uh, less accessible. And less visible than the Bundesliga and uh, Premier League in the United States, Champions League in the United States. Absolutely, and, and that was something too. Actually, Kartik in the, the Man City Monaco game, the pre-game coverage from Fox Sports, uh, 
usually they would include highlights of Monaco, you mean a goal or some amazing play from league play. Because they couldn't get those rights from BN Sports, because BN Sports will not give them those rights, all they showed was was photographs, and they had a kind of a, a montage of photographs showing kind of like you mean know, yeah. shot and goal. You mean which yeah. is really kind of most, most 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 people probably missed it, but it was kind of really kind of cheapish. Um, but yeah, you're right in terms of that hurts those leagues in the United States. In terms right, of, because of that's the most exposure Liga a uh, Liga uh, team other than PSG is going to get in the United States. It says Monaco two leg tied with Manchester City. It's on Fox. BN should be thinking about their property and promoting their property and using Fox, not thinking, oh, we're giving Fox something for free, but thinking we're giving Fox an opportunity to their wider audience to promote right. our product. Exactly. And, and vice versa, our network, too. Maybe more people would find out about BN Sports and try to find a way, okay, how do I get that channel? Because I want to watch Monaco every week because they, and they played exceedingly well. Uh, for me, the most complicated league in the U.S. in terms of being able to watch it on television uh, from a soccer perspective is Major League Soccer. I mean, you need subscriptions to Fox, uh, FS1, ESPN, ESPN2, Univision, Unamas, and then MLS Live. And then, so that's like six different networks plus the proprietary streaming platform. Plus then there's the complication of some games being blacked out either through your regional channels or through MLS Live. So to me, that's the most convoluted um, options. I mean, you have to subscribe to several different services just to be able to watch all the MLS games, or you go to MLS Live, but then even then you can't, you're not guaranteed because of blackouts. And then the most invisible league in the United States, uh, soccer league, is uh, the er- Eredivisie, the Dutch league. And that's because right now it's not available anywhere on US TV or streaming, which is... Uh, Sad news because uh, NG, uh, NGSN kind of dropped the ball on that, and now we have nothing. Any other thoughts, Kartik, before we move on to the, uh, the closing segment? No, that's about it. I mean, I think we talk about this constantly, but MLS really needs to figure out how they make their product accessible enough for enough people to where uh, they're relevant. They're always competing. Uh, there's these competing interests of, of, of protecting rights and uh, uh, protecting profits because the motivation of American sports owners, I think, is very different than those who own clubs in Europe in most cases. But uh, that versus really making your product accessible and 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 convincing folks that uh, it's worth watching mm-hmm. and worth investing time in. And MLS has failed to do that, yeah. regardless of the, 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 the hubris and, and the chest pounding that comes from internally from MLS often. Yeah, Jonathan's point last week about uh, putting some of the MLS games on Facebook Live is an excellent point. I think that would be a slam dunk in terms of at least accessibility, making it more accessible so that fans, whether they're Euro snobs, whether they're casual sports fans, whatever they are, whatever bucket they're in, at least they have an opportunity to watch a game, and maybe they'll be, they'd be surprised. Maybe they'd, they'd enjoy it and see some of the atmospheres and the great games and be hooked. Um, or maybe not. Who knows? But at least, at least they have the opportunity to watch the games, and uh, maybe that would increase the number of uh, viewers or interest in the league uh, as a whole. So, Carter, coming up this weekend, uh, Sunday, it's the League Cup final between Manchester United and Southampton on BN Sports. Uh, that one's one to look forward to. And... Uh, Kartik, where can listeners uh, find you on the internet? Easiest place is at uh, KKFLA737 on Twitter uh, or, uh, of course, at worldsoccertalk.com. And 
and various other sites. Just Google me. Okay. So if any listeners have any questions about the show, uh, feedback, opinions, anything, share them with us at web at worldsoccertalk.com uh, or Twitter at uh, WSoccerTalk or on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. So I want to thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and worldsoccertalk.com. And be sure to send us your feedback or questions so we can read those out on air. Kartik, over to you. Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.